Thanks very much to Kathy Buck for sharing our readings this weekend. So there was a news item this past week. I first noticed it in the Waukesha Freeman, I think on Monday, and by Wednesday it was on uh, at least Channel 12 and I think a couple of other news outlets. It had to do with a City of Brookfield Common Council meeting back in, I think, November or December, and they were voting on uh, some proposed housing in the Bishop's Woods area, so that's the southeastern part of the city of Brookfield. And uh, part of the housing was to be available for people who earn forty dollars to $80,000 a year. And uh, what, what made all the sound bites and what made the news was that one of the aldermen uh, in Brookfield objected to this, saying that uh, those, those people aren't earning enough money. They should live in West Allis or Wauwatosa, and when they earn enough money, then they can live in Brookfield. Now, I believe the city of attorney pointed out that for a public official to say that was actually a violation of uh, state uh, 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 housing laws, uh, equal opportunity housing laws. I'm not a legal expert. I can't really speak to that. But I, I must say I did like what a, another alderman uh, said when he was interviewed. And he said, you know, people who earn forty dollars to $80,000 a year, that, that would be the average salary in Wisconsin for a nurse, for a teacher, uh, for a firefighter, for a police officer. Uh, a person's value to a community is more than their income level, and we probably want these people living in our community. And the uh, Brookfield City Council agreed with that and uh, approved uh, that particular housing project. But um, I don't know if you would immediately think of housing as a matter of faith. Um, However, where people are allowed to live or not has frequently been an issue in our country and world over the centuries and years. Uh, it all does have to do with how we treat our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, and we're fortunate to live in a society where there's a lot of give and take on that. We have input into it. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose on these many and varied things. But it does get us to today's scripture readings, which are profoundly about things like this. And because we're in Matthew's gospel this year, we will deal with how our life impacts not just us, but the world around us in very significant and powerful ways. Um, so, uh, this week we have the Beatitudes, which Kathy just read. Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount begins with blessings of all the places he could have started. He just starts by talking about um, uh, things that are blessings in our lives, which is powerful and good. And we will have a lot of chances this year to dive deeper into the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get a little bit more next week, and then once we get to the long Pentecost season after uh, uh, the Easter season, we'll come back to the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll do that eventually, but for today, I think we'll take a little deeper dive into that, that prophet Micah. So let me give you a little background on Micah, and then we're going to talk about just two phrases in, in what you heard read from Micah chapter 6. So Micah's interesting because Micah is um, written from about 800 to maybe 750 B.C., he writes, while both uh, kingdoms of Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, both still exist, he writes at a time of prosperity and power uh, within those two kingdoms. 
And um, he, interestingly, has a huge impact on the prophet Isaiah, who follows and is like-minded with Micah. And that means he has a huge impact on us, because as we often say, Isaiah is the prophet that the Gospels and Jesus quote from the most. Isaiah gets much of his impetus from Micah, a much smaller uh, prophet, not that well known by most people. So now chapter 6 in Micah is, is kind of the crux of the whole book. And it, it's this court scene in which the whole creation is the judge, and, and the people bring a charge against God that God doesn't like care enough, and God doesn't do enough for them. Well, God responds to that by saying, well, let's see. I've done everything from lead you out of slavery in Egypt to a promised land, something huge, to something as little as uh, kind of this uh, obscure reference to some help God gave at the time of a king named Balaam, and everything in between. In other words, God's defense is, I'm involved in your lives like all the time. How do you not see this? To which the people say, oops, you're right, we're wrong, uh, we're actually way off the mark, and uh, we're, we're sinful, we should do something to make up for it. What should we offer you as a sacrifice? Should we offer you rivers of oil? Should we offer you a cow? Should we sacrifice one of our children to make you happy, God? To which God in this trial scene says, I don't want you to do any of that. I don't need a sacrifice of stuff or of people or of animals. What I need is your sacrifice. I need your life. I need you to love kindness, to do justice, and walk humbly with your God. And, and that crescendo line carries them through Isaiah's prophecies and into Jesus' ministry itself. I think there's no gospel in which we will see that more than the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, love kindness, do justice, and walk humbly with your God. So let's talk just a little bit for the rest of the sermon about just two of those phrases. What is it to do justice in our world and what is it to walk humbly with our God? They have a lot to do with each other. So start with doing justice. Now, if you had to answer, what does it mean to do justice? I'm not sure what you would say to that. I, I, I think in our society, we would think immediately of our justice system, civil justice resolving disputes, and criminal justice. If someone breaks the law, that there should be a penalty for that, a, a fine to be paid, or imprisonment, uh, depending on how serious it is. We think of that as our justice system, and we think, of that, uh, we think of equal opportunity, and we think of equal justice before the law. In a sense, the scales are balanced. Nobody should be able to tip them in their favor. I, I would think that's what all of us would think of as justice. Uh, we might have lots of questions about how well it works from the making of the laws to the enforcement of the laws, but I think we would think if, if it was working uh, correctly, that's how it would work. Now, the Bible gets all that. It has laws and it has punishments as well, but when it talks about doing justice, that's actually not really what it's talking about. In the Bible, the word, what the word justice means is it's something expected of the king of the people. The king should do justice for the people, and what that meant in that time was to make sure that especially the least within the kingdom were, were not so disadvantaged that they could not live. And, and therefore, it was the king's actual responsibility to make sure that everyone was fed, everyone was cared for, everyone had a place to live. Uh, this was to do justice by the king and by the few people who kind of consorted with the king. 
Um, the prophets, by the way, were the religious and social critics of their time, and they usually directed their messages of criticism at the king because the king was failing to do justice, was failing, in a sense, to look out for the least of the brothers and sisters of that world. And so Micah is all over that and uh, uh, says to great and small alike, um, Ultimately, our obligation to each other is to do justice. And there are plenty of opportunities for us to still do that in our world today, but let's think about it a little bit more. What does it mean to walk humbly with your God? Now, I think there's a part of the Christian tradition that says something that sounds really cool, but I think it's a little off track. I think there's a big part of the Christian tradition, or at least there's a part of the Christian tradition, that would say, wow, you know, when you think of your prayer life, when you think of your spiritual life, how important it is to invite God to, to walk along with you in that, uh, and to be a part of your prayers, to be a part of your spirituality. And, and that seemingly makes sense and sounds good, but I think it's off base just in how it's phrased, like to invite God to walk with you in your prayer life and spirituality. Um, I, I think the mistake that makes is, is honestly one of self-absorption. In other words, should we really be inviting God to walk with us, God the creator of the universe, savior of the world? Um, isn't it perhaps instead that we should find out where God is walking and we should walk alongside God? Uh, God invites us to walk alongside God. That's the proper emphasis, right? It's what Micah's talking about. It's not God should walk humbly alongside us, but that we should walk humbly with our God. And then what does that actually look like? Um, what is it to walk humbly with a God other than to follow in the footsteps of what that God asks of us? What is that, you say? Well, that's what Jesus is. That's what the Gospels are. That's what the Beatitudes are. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Jesus' relentless attempt to teach us how it is that we should walk and follow in God's ways. What it will eventually come down to, I think, uh, and, and where the Brookfield housing example comes in, I think, is, is that, of course, loving our neighbor as ourselves means loving those closest to you and, and loving them best. That's a human thing. Your, your spouse or significant other, your children, your, your family, your closest friends and neighbors, of course we love them. But, but the biblical tradition pushes us beyond that, of course, to, to all of those people more at the periphery of our world and our lives, to the least of our brothers and sisters. It's no mistake in Matthew's gospel that that final parable, the one about the sheep and the goats, the sheep are the ones who care for the least of our brothers and sisters and, and find Christ in their faces. The, the goats are the ones who never even notice the least of the brothers and sisters, much less help them. Uh, what's interesting about how Jesus puts that parable together is that all of these people, when they kind of defend their actions, they're all testifying to who? They all testify to the king, right? And in a sense, the way Jesus tells the parable that he, he's both the king, the one in a sense to whom we're accountable, but he's also in the faces of the least of our brothers and sisters. He is both there and he is both there. Our path in life is to walk alongside one another in service of the king. And, and so to love our neighbors as ourselves is to care for the people closest to us. And it's, it's to care for the leper, you 
know, the person we're afraid of. It's to care for the tax collector, the person that we kind of despise and would rather not give the time of day to. It's to care for the, the old woman who, who's been bent over for 18 years and, and the authorities say it's not the right time to pay attention to her. But of course, you and I know it is the right time to pay attention to her. It's, it's all of these examples that Jesus shares of us of how important and life-saving it is for us to get outside our, our comfort zones because stunningly when we do, we find life and we find enthusiasm and we find graciousness and we find opportunity and we find um, self-meaning that, that we never find if we just stay inside our comfort zone and our own little bubbles. It is the simplest things as, as making it possible maybe for the people who teach our kids and care for us in the hospital to live in the, the same community. These things are important. They're real. They're part of the life of faith. And one last thing to think of this week. As you think about um, finding God's path and walking it, walking humbly with your God, and, and doing justice in some small part of your life, what you need to remember most of all is that while we hope in our, our legal systems that the, the scales will be balanced, the ultimate scales, at least the divine ones, are, are horribly imbalanced, right? They're imbalanced by that cross that's hanging behind me because none of us ultimately are held accountable by God. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God loves you unconditionally, forgives me unconditionally. And, and so this week, perhaps when you are walking humbly with your God, you will remember that God's scales of justice are tilted massively in your direction. And as a result, that cross, as you're walking, it's your destination, it's your goal, it's your purpose, right? Right?